before we start, I have to make a bunch of noise. Not a bunch of noise, but <laughs> do it. Hear that? I'm... Yeah. <laughs> Click. Refreshing time of the day. Um, we'll see what I've had so far. This is how weird I am. <laughs> I had coffee, water, obviously, mm -hmm. donuts, dill pickle flavored almonds, prosciutto, cheese wrapped prosciutto. Heck yeah. I uh, <laughs> just ran to the fridge and like did the drive by again, the drive by <laughs> cheese board. Just shoved it in my face real quick. I love that so much. I love that so much. Well, now being single, I mean, I'm a snacker anyways. I've never, I mean, mm -hmm. I do like a big meal, but I'm more of a snacker. I graze throughout the day. So like just yeah. to grab like a piece of meat and a cracker and then I'm fine for a while, yeah. you know? Yeah. That makes me happy. And I'm just <laughs> like, what's the point in cooking a bunch of food? It's just me. Yeah. Right? Unless you're like, oh, I'm going to have leftovers. And then and you're like, like, oh, shoot, I have leftovers for like a week. <laughs> meal prepping. Yeah, you know. Uh -huh. like, mm, oh. nah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I have no time. I, no, I respect meal preppers, but I literally have no time. <laughs> like, I would you love to do that because I don't have time. Mm -hmm. You have a busy schedule. You're way busier than I am. I wish I, I could, like, split myself into eight people. Because then I could have, like, different me's working on different things. And then <laughs> one version of me could actually sit my ass on the couch and relax. <laughs> <laughs> That's the version you want to be. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm going to be it's busy. Because, okay. uh, I mean, obviously the break doesn't affect listeners. But now that we're batch recording a bunch of episodes mm -hmm. and also writing future episodes, planning for recording episodes yeah i now have to start editing these <laughs> so i'm just oh, like oh yeah. i'm gonna be busy <laughs> that's a good thing i don't have a busy life because yeah. i need i actually have the time to do it so i just need to make myself do it because i will because yeah, I, I love you guys i love you listener love it's fun too it, it is, is a lot fun. of fun mm -hmm. i don't complain one bit about the work that goes into this because this it's is so fun. fun yes and just so listeners know um your episode today the ones that are coming up i am already putting together the listener tales the listener spectacular mm -hmm. for halloween and yes voice like submitted recordings of people telling their stories is so cool having mm -hmm. like music paired with it and you know there's a wide range of stories that we're covering different types of supernatural occurrences so it's just going to be a good mix of things it it's is going to be good and I can't thank you guys enough. You listened to us. We said we want to hear from you, and you delivered. And we don't want that to stop after spooky season. We want that to continue. We love hearing wanna, from you guys. We don't normally do this, but I think I do want to do this now that we're on this topic. Um, I think I want to give a shout out to the people who submitted. Just shout them out on the show. Yes. Um. So um, let's see. First, Jen. Jen is a coworker of mine. Thank, Thank you, Jen, Jen, for submitting your story. It is awesome, spooky, well done. Draven, you submitted multiple stories, yes. which Thank I think you, we're Draven. Use two for this particular episode, and I think we're going to save the other one because it goes with my personal story. 
Mm-hmm. which you know we're going to talk about so i think i'm going to save yep. that for the anniversary episode so thank you like that, that will be helpful to add to that steven uh your friendly uh house sitting ghost that got a little too friendly that's a great story <laughs> we've got uh jennifer who shared her thrift store ghost story mm-hmm. and natalie and her theater ghost yes who else we have amy who submitted a couple of stories from her college days and on some family outings so thank you amy we also have a listener named maddie who submitted thank you maddie hers is brief but very weird can't wait to share that one Ooh, i'm excited Mm-hmm. because i haven't heard have- these Mm-mm. No, and they're really weird. And we, like you said, we have a spectrum of the spectacular spectral situations <laughs> <laughs> we're about to get into. It is spooky season! Welcome yes, to this, spooky season! This is officially kicking off spooky season. It is. Today. And it's a great way to kick her off with the month that we've got in store for you. So you better buckle the F up. I'm saying get your holy water uh-huh. and your rosary and your sage uh-huh. and all the Think things, especially positive today. Positive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Take a deep breath, positive thoughts. And you know what? I'm just going to say it, but uh, negative energy is not allowed. I need that on the shirt not. as well. Yes. Negative agreed. energy is not allowed here. Not allowed. Get that out of here. Not get that in here. <laughs> Get that negative out of my face. Face. (laughs) (laughs) You can't see the head bobble, but I did it. I mean, you could, but listeners couldn't. But you could feel it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And gosh, this episode is so full of everything. I I tried to get to the bottom of some crazy things. And oh, buckle up. We are going to be taking you on a wild ride. Oh is for Ouija and other cursed objects. And I'm going to break it down for you today. We are going to talk about cursed people, places, and things. We are going to be sharing the origins of the Ouija board and the history behind it. We're going to get into different ways that it has been used. Because it's not just a typical board that you buy. People do make their own. And we are going to be ending on some listener tales with their personal experience with Ouija boards. And I, I did try it. to get mm-hmm, I did try to get a, a spectrum with Ouija experiences to show you how it can go in the range of it all. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. So, I I have not Hang heard tight. any of the stories. I have not looked at your notes. I know nothing. I'm coming no. into this as oh. a total spectator. Cool. I learned a lot when researching for this episode. And I didn't think that the concept or the product of the Ouija board was actually as young as it was. So we're going to get into it. Here's the hype notes. So. Some think it's a bunch of bull. Some think 
it's a useful tool of communication. And some refuse to allow it in the house. Take a seat, strap in, deep breath, because we are about to go digging into cursed objects and cover listener stories for their experiences with Ouija boards. And I highly recommend, and I have to thank Hallie for this, she sent me a fantastic book called Ouija Gone Wild by Rosemary Ellen Gully and Rick Fisher. It is an excellent read if you want to hear some stories and histories and perspectives on it. It is a really good resource and a very entertaining read. I highly recommend that book. I totally that forgot about the, that. Yeah. it's a. It was one of my... It, I have a lot of sources in here, but that was one of my favorites. Nice. Yes. I'm going to say it in the voice to start this off. Hello. Thank you for choosing Macabre today. Please remain seated and strap in during the duration of this episode. It's going to be a bumpy ride, and we hope you enjoy your time with us. And remember, listener discretion is advised. Here we go. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's start with some cursed things in the cursed people realm. Now, some listeners may know a lot about this and we would love to hear from you on other things i tried to pick things that you don't normally hear about i did avoid some of the more cliche topics with cursed objects and whatnot i tried to really dig into other things especially since we do like to add a teeny bit of that historical bit in there we're gonna start with the curse of turan have you heard of this it sounds familiar, but I don't know anything in depth, I will say. It's a very interesting concept, especially we since we've covered. Are we talking about the Shroud of Turan? Is that what you're talking about? No. something. Well, uh, okay, no. Technically, I think it has been referred to as the Shroud. It involves Eastern Europe. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which, for past episodes, I think it would mm-hmm. make sense to people. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. But back in 1000 AD, King Stephen wanted all of his people of Hungary to convert to Christianity. Some people were not a fan of this change. There were a lot of other religious traditions in that time. Obviously there still is, but think of that time frame when people were trying to convert others to a certain religion or belief. Doesn't go well normally. No. Usually not, and there usually involves wars and battles and a bunch of upheaval. Well, in this particular case, there was one very upset shaman. He, he said, it was said that he actually had mystical powers because he had six fingers on one hand. The six-fingered man. The Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought of, too. <laughs> Have you seen the six fingered man? Hello. My name is Aniko Matoya. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's okay. where it came from. <laughs> like the inspiration. <laughs> I don't know. That'd be funny. Anyway, anyway. The six fingered man. He refused to convert. And he got so mad that he could he put a curse on the Hungarian people. That would last a thousand years. Holy shit, that's a powerful shaman. He was mad. <laughs> In 
it kind of seems like the curse was legitimate. Uh, they've been dealing with a ton of stuff since then. If you look at history in general at the surface level, they've dealt with ha- being on the losing side of a lot of pit- political decisions and wars. Mm-hmm. During World War II, for example, they actually sided with the Nazis at one point so that they thought that they wouldn't be harmed be as on, much. Maybe yeah. thought they were going to be on the winning side. Yep, Oops. exactly. And that they would maybe not get the wrath of the Nazis. Well, the Nazis actually turned on them anyway and massacred a ton of people. Imagine that. Uh-huh. They've seen a lot of misfortunes and much of the population for a long time was very distraught. Throughout the 1900s even, Hungary had some of the highest suicide rates of the world and are known to have some of the worst living conditions to this day. The curse was supposed to be done in 2000, but according to OECDbetterlifeindex.org, in their page for Hungary, they are listed that they are still struggling struggling economically, academically, environmentally, medically, and mentally. They are not in much of a better place at all now. They're not thriving is what you're saying. They are not thriving, and we're in 2020 now. So that, it makes a lot of sense, but that shaman was mad. And that is the Curse of Tran. Now we go on to Tecumseh's 20-year curse. Now, Tecumseh was a Shawnee chief that was born in 1768. And he advocated for intertribal alliances to fight off against the white rule of the Ohio River. And he was he was involved with a lot in that time. Think of the 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 struggle for gaining land from people moving from Europe trying to take on their own spots. Think of that time period. It was a battle and a lot of people were frustrated, including a lot of tribes that were like, "What are you doing? <laughs> what are you freaking doing? Like taking yeah. over this stuff." This and area he was, was definitely very Shawnee, by the way. Indiana had a lot of Shawnee. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And in the War of 1812, Tecumseh sided with the British, actually, against the U.S. troops for that exact reason. And when William Henry Harrison's troops defeated Tecumseh's in the Battle of Tippecanoe, sorry, I'm having a hard time. Tippecanoe? I'm having a hard time today with words. (laughs) Please forgive me. My coffee's out and (laughs) it's there. Um, It's said that Tecumseh put a curse on the leaders of the United States. So if you're wondering Hmm. how that 20-year curse comes into play, we're going to break it down. William Henry Harris was elected president in 1840. He caught a cold during his inauguration, which quickly, quickly turned into pneumonia. He died on April 4th of 1841 after only one month in the office. 
Yeah, I was gonna say, wasn't he the shortest, like, yep, in office? Mm-hmm. Moving forward to Abraham Lincoln, he was elected president in 1860 and reelected four years later. Lincoln was shot on April 14th of 1865 and died the next day. James Garfield was elected president in 1880. Charles Gitto shot him July 1881. Garfield died several months later from complications following the gunshot wound. William McKinley, elected president in 1896 and re-elected in 1900 on September 6, 1901, McKinley was shot by Leon F. Zalgos. Ooh, telling you. I've never heard that name. Today. Me neither. Who was considered the, en- the president's enemy of the people. McKinley died eight days later. Three years after Warren G. Harding was elected president in 1920, he died suddenly of either a heart attack or a stroke while traveling in San Francisco. Franklin D. Roosevelt was elected president in 1932 and re-elected in 1936, 1940, and 1944. Though his health wasn't great overall, he died rather suddenly in 1945 of a cerebral hemorrhage or a stroke. Mm. John F. Kennedy was elected president in 1960 and assassinated in Dallas three years later. We are definitely going to be revisiting the uh, Kennedys here in a hot second because they have their own family curse going on. But last but not least, Ronald Reagan was elected president in 1980. And though he was shot by an assassin in 1981, he did survive. And some say this actually broke the curse. And George W. Bush, who was elected in 2000, escaped and went on to serve for a second term in office. Hmm. Let's go back to the Kennedys for a second. John F. Kennedy's brother, Joseph Jr., and his sister, Kathleen, both died in separate plane crashes in 1944 and 1948, respectively. Did not know that. Uh Uh-huh. It's either plane crashes or assassinations with this family, which is very unfortunate. JFK, while serving as America's 35th president, like I said, was assassinated in 1963 at the age of 46. Robert Kennedy, JFK's younger brother, was assassinated in 1968. Senior Ted Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's youngest brother, survived a plane crash in 1964. But in 1969, he was driving a car that went off a bridge, causing the death of his companion, Mary Jo uh, Kopechny, and ending his presidential goals during that investigation. In 1984, Robert Kennedy's son, David, died of a drug overdose, and another son, Michael, died in a skiing accident in 1997. In 1999, JFK Jr., his wife, and his sister-in-law died when the small plane he was piloting crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. 
Jesus. I mean, I knew about that mm-hmm. one, but I didn't mm-hmm. know there were so many people in that family that died. Yeah. That's insane. They had their fair share of tragedy. Oh, yeah. It's it's insane. Do you know where that curse in particular is supposed to have stemmed from? On on them like in from particular? The Ken- for the Kennedys? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think... Uh, you know, they were, they were obviously a really powerful family that had a lot of political ties and ties elsewhere, mon- monetary ties. And they really, really liked being in that presidential realm, wanted to be elected. And there were a lot of people that didn't like the Kennedy family. So I have a feeling that, you know, maybe part of that was that they really just weren't a fan. But I do think it's a little interesting on how many plane crashes there were. It's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. And especially since the the one survived a plane crash, basically, and then ended up off of a bridge anyway, in a car. It's like, can't escape the fate. Yeah. It's just um, so weird. So now that we've talked about cursed people, let's talk about cursed places. You may have heard of Stull Cemetery in Stull, Kansas. I have not. Stull- Ooh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. This is new to me. <laughs> Stull, I guess you can call it a town. It's so small that the population is unincorporated. The cemetery was created in 1869 to be next to the small church that they had um it wasn't too long before that actually that it was built you are not allowed to go into the cemetery at night anymore now Hmm. a lot of people think that it's because people are vandalizing and doing things that they're not supposed to be in there um they're were groups of people being caught doing rituals in there by the cops because they survey that area very heavily. So now they have it locked up and you can't go in there. Some say it's just because of people that want to vandalize and whatnot. And other people say that it's because of the weird stuff that happens in there. What causes it? Who really knows? But allegedly, this is what's going down. There is an urban legend that says this place is one of the seven gates of hell in the U.S. Oh, shit. Uh-huh. And the story goes that the devil and a witch had a child together. It died. And it apparently was buried in the cemetery. The story goes that the devil visits twice a year. Once on Halloween and once on the spring equinox. The reason why you can't get in at night is because, like I said, people have done some weird stuff in there, including rituals, and allegedly it is so cursed that the Pope won't even fly over that spot. Oh, wow. Yeah. This story dates back to the 70s, and the church was actually demolished in 22, or uh, 2002. It says that there was weird phenomena going on at the church as well. It says that the church was also cursed and that when it rained, the church wouldn't get wet even, that it was like a big like spot. Yeah, it just really weird. Really weird. 
but I haven't really seen any documentation from people, so I feel like it is strictly urban legend. Tourist trap. Tourist mm-hmm. trap in an incorporated town. I mean, what better way to do that than in tiny, tiny, tiny place, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about something a little more spooky that we have facts on. Nevada Triangle. Didn't know this was a thing, but apparently I don't it's exactly either. the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, this this hmm. shocked me. Uh, Sierra Nevada Mountains. So they it spans in that area between Nevada and California. And that stretch is where this takes place. It's where Bigfoot is also. Really? There are a lot of sightings in the Sierra Nevadas. Actually, really? the guy... Sorry to uh, side tangent, but um, no. I interviewed Ron Moorhead one time about his the <gasps> yeah. um, the vocalizations, the samurai sounds, and all uh-huh. that were recorded in the Sierra Nevadas. That's where they were. Oh, I didn't know that. So there's something about that area. Uh, Interesting. I think Mount Shaw is Mount Shasta still considered in that area, or no? No, maybe uh, not. Don't know. The whole basically upper part of California and Oregon and all, I mean, all the whole stretch is just something about the mountains, I tell you. The mountains Mm -hmm. and the trees and the water. Yeah. Very odd. (laughs) This one is really weird. Uh, In the last 60 years, 2,000 planes have gone missing and the crash sites have not been found for them. What? In this area. Mm-hmm. So it's a portal is what you're saying. Yeah. Kind of sounds like it. Uh, area 51 can be found within this region, actually. Convenient. And, mm-hmm. Conspiracy theories get tossed around about UAPs and sur- supernatural events to explain this phenomena all the time. Um, on September 3rd of 2007... Steve Fawcett, a very experienced aviator, was flying over the Great Basin Desert, and he never returned. They searched for him and the plane for a while, and they called it off after a month. He was declared dead the following February. In late September of 2008, a hiker found his ID, and a few days after that, the crash site was found only 65 miles away from where he took off. Two of his bones were found half a mile from the crash site. Military planes have crashed in this region and have gone missing. Uh, From some of the accounts that I've seen, allegedly a part of the planes would just seemingly explode, just randomly. Telling you, it's a portal. Mm Mm-hmm. Very weird. We kind of keep talking about Skinwalker Ranch a little bit. And I I am caught up on the episodes now, and I think it's so fascinating to it's see. It's one what of those areas too. I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we could get into whole thing on that, and we probably will at some point. But I just think there are mm-hmm. certain parts, so that, you know, the ley lines. Those, that's a real thing. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I just think there's just certain areas that, whatever reason, energetically vibrate differently, and yep, that's. Planes can just slip into right the concept of wormholes, mm-hmm. and p- people kind of get oh really we're we going down this this loophole, but let's talk about it for just a hot second. 
the first person to kind of theorize wormholes was Einstein. And he had ideas about it, but never was really able to prove it because it, it takes a lot of technology. Yeah. And some of the things that we're starting to see and with some of the technology that's coming out now, we have a, a slightly better standing. Not that we understand a lot at all, but a little bit better understanding of what could potentially be going on with it. So I, I find that super interesting, especially from a scientific standpoint. So, yeah. Very odd. I had no idea that there was another Bermuda Triangle thing going on, like, on land in the U.S. Very weird. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Super odd. So we're going to jump into cursed things now. Let's talk about the terracotta warriors in China. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Emperor Qin Shi uh, Huang sorry, uh, again, this morning I can't pronounce anything, was buried with over 8,000 terracotta sculptures, which included soldiers, horses, and chariots. Each soldier had different facial features. They were very personal, and it's said that he actually had them replicated after each individual soldier. How long would that take? Oh, right? (laughs) I cannot imagine. And like, how many, I mean, is it one dude that was doing that job? Or did he have like a whole bunch of sculptors? I'm pretty sure he had a huge team. For them to be consistently producing, I don't know. Like, I'm just, Mm -hmm. I can't wrap my brain around that. Yeah. And they're life size. I've seen them in person. Have Uh, you? Did they remove some of them and then the rest are there? Still Mm -hmm. left behind? Yeah. They still haven't excavated everything. That's what Uh, I thought. Yeah. The tomb is huge. But they have pulled some out. And I I was so fortunate back in 2016 to go to Chicago's Field Museum, which if you haven't been, I highly recommend. If you're a nerd, you're going to just cry and drool and nerd everywhere. They had a traveling exhibit for the Terracotta Warriors. They did have a horse. They had several terracotta soldiers. They're life-size. They're not these little foot-high. They are are life-size. And they even sculpted weapons. Wow. That's not easy. If you work with clay and (laughs) things like I have, (laughs) it's not easy Uh at all. And not to mention, they didn't have the same standing stance either. Some of them are kneeling. Some of them have a drawn bow and arrow. It is just intricate, very intricate. Uh, I highly recommend reading up on the Terracotta Warriors. They're really interesting and they're so cool. So he was the first emperor to unify in China. He was honored in a very big way. And this reflected in his burial and his tomb is super grand. After his death, it's said that early on, the terracotta army was cursed. Anyone who had dispersed the area in the soil, even like removing a little bit of it, would know what suffering meant. And suffering was definitely definitely the appropriate word after some of the accounts. And this is just surface level. There's books on this as well, and it's 
it's really sad. And I feel really, I feel really bad for the people that accidentally came across this for what happened to them out of just, it, they didn't even intentionally find it. Over the years, many who have been involved with the excavation have had some pretty bad luck. In 1975, four workers died when one of the walls collapsed. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. In 18, or I'm sorry, in 1980, a worker died from falling off a scaffold. In 1993, three workers were killed and six more injured when a fire broke out in the pit. Even tourists have died from a number of accidents that have been at the site throughout the years. And in 2006, one man tried climbing a statue there and fell to his death. Um, hi, this is Blair from the Macabre Podcast. And I'm here to tell you, <laughs> don't fucking climb on statues. Tourists, no matter where you travel to, where you're from, please have some freaking respect for the places that you're visiting. Yeah, this- is it terrible? And I'm like, well... Sucks to you, be you. Sucks to suck. Yeah. And what rational thought in your head says, this is an ancient artifact. It's pretty fragile and a little bit dangerous. I'm going to climb it. All right. This, this concludes my PSA. Thank you. <laughs> and as recently as 2010, a woman died after one of the pillars in there fell on her. Oh, no. Yeah. So she didn't she didn't necessarily climb anything, but it, it just fucking fell on her anyway. Uh, let's not forget the farmers who had originally found this site unintentionally. One farmer who went out to kind of excavate the land, they needed a little bit more land to be growing things. He actually got a skin disease after he started exposing the area. Hmm. One had a heart condition and later committed suicide because of the feelings that he got after the fact. So not sure what kind of pent-up bacteria or what have you was involved in that. Also, historically speaking, the emperor wanted to make sure that this didn't get disturbed. And it was said back in the day even that there was a curse that was put on it. So. Who knows what kind of like chemical components were involved in that, in that area also that yeah. maybe survived the mm-hmm. so not a good time. And not to mention the entire village that was around that site that they back in the day unknowingly started building a livelihood in the village. They were already not a wealthy community and they lost Everything that they had, which was so little to begin with, their homes, their livelihoods were completely destroyed. Some people got ill. Some people died from just the loss of what little they did have. They had nothing. The, who was left ended up migrating a little ways over into another village to try to create a livelihood. But a lot of people lost a lot. And it's very unfortunate because. People scooped in and were like, we're going to excavate this. Get out of our way. People always do. I mean, you think about the Mm -hmm. Egyptian, like how many tombs were robbed, grave robbed. And like, there's a lot of curses connected with that as well. Absolutely. 
I know I, I wanted so bad to do something from Egypt, but I'm like, oh, oh it gets talked about all the time. Let's just let's yeah. just talk about something. We yeah. No, this is cool. I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah, some crazy. I didn't know the impact that much impact on people. I had heard that people got sick and had like skin diseases and stuff, but I didn't know about the other it's stuff. A lot. Uh, so crazy. Let's get into some other weird things. <laughs> Did you know that <laughs> there? There is a mathematician out there that turned a number evil. No. Is it the number 13? Uh, no, actually. And you thought 13 was scary? Well, let's talk about that. Uh, Belfagor's prime for any mathematician out there. If you're geek and hardcore, kudos to you. Proud of you. Just the thought of math. Makes me go a little. <laughs> I feel in cursed the head. when I think about that. <laughs> same, I'm all like same. ready, cursed. Uh huh. I'm my such brain does an not idiot. work. My brain actually had a boss tell me one time. He's like, "You count really weird. I've never heard anybody count the way that you count." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> yeah. He's like, "You do like, it. Leave like, me alone. Your brain works in reverse." And I'm like, "Ah, eh, just the way it is." Hey, I can't if I can get it. to the right answer, leave me alone. <laughs> I think the way he was trying to explain it is that my brain, I work multiple things out simultaneously Mm. Mm -hmm. versus like, I don't know how to describe it, but yeah. Oh, hey, that makes no sense to me. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I still get the same answer. Yeah. As long as you get there, that's what matters. At least you get there. Yeah. I want to know what this number is. Oh, I'm going to tell you. Uh, Belfigur's prime has 31 digits. That's 13 backwards. Two sets of 13 zeros and at its heart, 666, which, you know, Iron Maiden fans out there, the number of the beast. Uh, the eerie combination was popularized by author and mathematician Cliff Pickover, who is also to be credited or blamed however you want to look at it with the concept of vampire numbers i have not heard of vampire numbers and if anybody knows about vampire numbers please let us know because are they a little uh schmexy yeah like what, or are they what like are the uh yeah or they like the uh other vampires of the world that like to eat your thumbs <laughs> trying to do your work and you're like I've, I've typed so much for this algorithm that my thumbs are gone <laughs> here's a here's one for our non math lovers out there I thought this one was pretty funny and I'm, I'm actually not surprised uh, the medieval book protection curse so let's talk about books. They were actually a prized treasure back in the day. And if you own books, that was seen as a sign of wealth. Book owners can be very protective over their personal collection of books. I can definitely say the same for myself. <laughs> I don't even let my cacophony of cats in my office because you know what? They sometimes like to scratch the shit out of them and eat them. And I love them. But there is a feral part of me that turns like this if I see any damage done to one of my books. Uh, to fend off this 
just unscrupulous thing. The book owners in the Middle Ages used the only power that they thought they had. Words. <laughs> Words. At the, be- <laughs> yeah. At the beginning or the end of books, they would usually write some dramatic curse or you know threat for thieves uh with the pain and suffering if they were to you know steal or damage these treasures i mean maybe they were onto something uh one example of that would be and i quote if anyone take away this book let him die the death let him be fried in a pan let the falling sickness and fever seize him let him be broken oh, on the wheel and hanged amen end quote it's very Game of Thrones for protecting your books. Right? I mean, I'm a bibliophile and I, I can't say I disagree. I do have a book that I would probably hurt somebody if anything happened to. Mm-hmm. I have several. I would uh, probably not think twice about taking somebody's eye out, not gonna lie. <laughs> and, you know, uh, maybe removing some thumbs. Could be maybe. sticking them over in Ghana, have them eat eat the thumbs. Uh, with the uh, uh, assassin Sem. I, I can never pronounce that uh, vampire <laughs> type accurately, so I apologize. But, ooh, they would be getting a hurting. All right. We talked a lot about cursed things. It's time to get into the Ouija stuff I know that you're all more interested in. Okay? No matter what you think about the Ouija board, know this. It does not stand for the French word for yes. <laughs> if you know it, it's we. And yes. it, the German word for yes is ja. Let's make that very clear. It does not stem there from either of those languages. The board that became Ouija, or Ouija, was born, believe it or not, in 1886 in Chestertown, Maryland and named in 19 or I'm sorry in 1890 in Baltimore when it was first manufactured now if this shocks you it shocked me too i thought this thing was much older like i was thinking like back when the concept of the tarot card was coming out i honestly thought it was around the same time so i i learned so much um, there are some really good Smithsonian resources out there about Ouija. I highly recommend you look that up. Smithsonian for the wind on the <laughs> Smithsonian the wind. for the wind, <laughs> not on the wind. Oh, we don't need that Akimu coming back. <laughs> <laughs> now, since Ouija's inception, newspaper reports on its use was a way to communicate with the dead, predict catastrophes solve mysteries and even commit crimes it blew up people became obsessed with faster types of communication and let's let's face it we know that at that time people were obsessed with death and they were already doing types of seances when this board was created they were like it was almost like the like like a smartphone now they're like, what? You can look stuff up on the internet on this thing and make phone calls and all this stuff. That's kind of how it was back then with Ouija boards. 
people were growing. It, it got to the point where they were trying different types of communication with seances to make it faster. And they were growing really impatient with how long it would take sometimes at their attempts with, with communicating with the dead. And I mean, life's too short, right? They Let's make it short and sweet and get to the point. We don't I have mean, a lot of time with them. By the time it's over. Short. Yeah, exactly. In those days, life was too short. <laughs> yeah. And in 1886, the fledgling Associated Press reported this new phenomenon in taking over the spiritualist camps in Ohio, which is interesting, right? Didn't think it would be from in the realms of Ohio, right? Well, Ohio oh, yeah. is pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. They, Spending they refer, time there. Right. <laughs> they referred to it as the talking board. And it was, for all intents and purposes, a, a Ouija board. It just didn't have that branding yet. It had the letters and the numbers. It had a planchette-like device to point to things on the board. And this article for the Associated Press went far and wide. And this just blew up. But it was Charles Kennard of Baltimore, Maryland, who acted on this hype. Charles actually pulled together a group of four other investors, including Elijah Bond, to start the Canard Novelty Company to exclusively make and market what they would call later the Ouija board. The United States Patent Office referred to the product and needed a test before they would even consider get granting a, a patent. So this Baltimore attorney named Elijah Bond was one of the first to patent the board. The makers of the first talking board asked the board what they should call it. And the name during that particular seance spelled out Ouija. It came through, and they asked what that meant, and the board replied, good luck. Hmm. You don't really know? Yeah. So in February of 1891, the first few advertisements were starting to appear in public papers. In one of the branding advertisements said, Ouija, the wonderful talking board. And it actually was a huge boom, uh, a boom toy for Pittsburgh. And it was located in novelty shops. And they described it as being a magical device that would answer questions about, in quote, the past, present, and future with marvelous accuracy. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and it promised to, quote, never fail in amusement and recreation for all the classes. Interesting. Including demons. Yeah. Uh -huh. And it also was advertised as a link to, quote, between the known and the unknown, the material and immaterial. Guess what the first cost of a Ouija board was? Oh, goodness. That time frame? Mm-hmm. Maybe like 25 cents. Close. It was $1.50. 
oh shoot that was my first guess was a dollar and i was like maybe less if cocaine was 50 cents (laughs) (laughs) Ouija board's probably half that (laughs) roughly in today's standards that would equate to about 35 dollars give or take okay a lot of board games are around that mm -hmm. makes sense yeah and the real history of the board is just about as mysterious as how the game actually works. So according to the Miss, the Smithsonian, the Ouija board, in fact, came straight out of the American 19th century obsession with spiritualism, which not surprised. Mm-mm. There's a lot going on. Now, spiritualism, which has been around for years in Europe, hit America real hard in 1848. <laughs> And spiritualism actually reached millions and and at its peak in the second half of the 19th century, it exploded further. Now, why are people so obsessed with death and other si- and the other side in the Victorian era? Well, I mean, we have covered that multiple times. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know at this point, <laughs> I don't know yeah. how much more clear we can be. Yeah, exactly. They, everybody Go was dying. And, yeah, and you didn't have a long lifespan, and if you made it out of childhood, you won the game of life. <laughs> Back then, to be honest. The movement also offered solace in an era that, well, let's talk a little bit of stats here. The average lifespan was less than 50. Women died in childbirth, children died of disease, and men died in war. And, of course, that's not all the reasons for death back Let's then not forget yes. about arsenic yeah <laughs> we're gonna bring back arson because arsenic was in everything so communicating to the dead did not seem bizarre to the average person back then because it was kind of common people were trying to do that all the time and now that there was a board that was strictly made for that profits for the spiritualism era boomed and it kept growing the Bourne's instant and now results were what people had been asking for. And more than 120 years later, prolonged success shows that it had tapped into a weirder place in American culture. So this is where it starts getting more weird. It means that it wasn't only spiritualists who bought the board. In fact, people who disliked Ouija boards, it tended to be spirit mediums because it was kind of cutting into their livelihood. Um, I, I can't imagine like how mad people got. And they just found that their jobs as a spiritualist, you know, just kind of got snuffed out because people weren't paying for them anymore. They were going right to Ouija boards. And they yeah. appealed, yeah. They have I, access I can, all the time, anytime. Right, yeah. Not have to make an appointment, not have to pay extra when you can buy a board for 30 bucks and be good the rest of your time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People who appealed to the board weren't just what you would expect nowadays. Younger people, people who are into a specific thing. People from all ages, professions, education, we're into this um, because the Ouija board offers a fun way for people to believe in something different, something that they can't explain. So thinking about it in that way, 
it definitely was a big popular item for a time that was so uncertain that people didn't know what to do. People will go to a lot of lengths to get answers to the unknown. And when people hold fast to a belief and they're looking for answers for something in a cheap way or a DIY situation, that's what they were going to go to. So in the 1910s and 20s, with the devastations of World War I and the absolute crazy years of the Jazz Age and Prohibition, uh, witnesses have claimed that there was an even larger surge in Ouija, in Ouija popularity. And it was so normal by May of 20 that Norman Rockwell, yes, the illustrator of the blissful 20th century, you know, art, depicted a man and a woman with a Ouija board on their knees communing with the beyond on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. Hmm. And during, right? Isn't that weird? Wow. I've never, I've seen, never that. seen this image and I want to find like it. To. Yeah. Uh, during the Great Depression, the Fold Company opened new factories to meet the demand of the board. In over five months, in 1944, a single New York department store sold 50,000 of them. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. In 1967, the year after Parker Brothers bought the game from the Fold Company, two million boards were sold, outselling Monopoly. Wow. Yeah. Which is crazy to think about. Oh, what do you want to play tonight, Cheryl? Monopoly or the Ouija board? <laughs> Oh, Earl, I think we should play the Ouija board. Uh, that same year uh, saw more than... Uh, oh, there were a lot of American troops in Vietnam at that, at that time. And the counterculture Summer of Love in San Francisco was taking off. And a race of riots in Newark, Detroit, Minneapolis, Milwaukee. Things were starting to get different in culture. But even though culture was changing, the phenomena for this just grew and strange tales began to spring up all over about some pretty weird happenings while using this board. I was wondering when that started. Uh-huh. So think about this. This board was created in the mid-1880s and not even a hundred years later is when things get weird and before before the 70s the 1970s you didn't really hear about anything really crazy Negative. going on yeah mm -hmm. hmm. wonder why it changed oh uh, i'll tell you now we hear this a lot with other stories too but okay 1970s was the golden age for really birthing some scary movies about evil entities right mm -hmm. uh let's talk about that we're about to get into it this month but the exorcist yeah start there. uh mm -hmm. experiences with the board began to take a really rough turn after that exorcist movie came out and it's not with just ouija boards people were talking about weird things happening after that movie anyway not just with this but well and on set at the movie stuff yeah exactly just really weird stuff so since then almost overnight the ouija board 
became a tool of the devil. And for that reason, a tool of horror writers and movie makers. It began popping up in scary movies all over the place, usually opening the door to evil spirits. Now, people have a lot of different varying opinions on the board. A lot of people have said that it's a useful tool if you use it correctly. It's not just for that thing with evil entities. Other people say uh, you are just basically opening up a welcome invitation for things to come and mess with you. Even if you know how to use it properly doesn't necessarily mean anything. There's a lot of people on both sides of it, personally. When I'm going to share some of these stories, and I know a few of them personally, I do not allow Ouija boards in my house. What yeah, do you think, I, Allie? I just, <laughs> personally, I, I was going to read to say, like, I have no interest in that. Uh, no. I just would not want to take my chances. No. Nope. I mean, nope. Uh-huh. I'm good. And, I mean, if it works for you, I mean... That's that's good. I mean, you do you. There, <laughs> You're there's... a human being with yeah. your own mind and your yeah. own decisions. And yep, you know, there's there's no judgment here, seriously. But after you hear some of the things that we're about to get into, I would highly recommend you use caution. So, without further ado, we're gonna tell three stories in varying ranges of using a Ouija board to kind of give a spectrum for people to understand what can or cannot happen. And these are true stories. I need to make sure that you all know that. Uh, two of the people on this list have requested that their names be changed. So listener discretion is advised. We are in spooky season. This is not for the faint of heart, but we are going to start off with a lighter note. One of our listeners, Amy, thank you so much for sharing this with me. Uh, back in the late 20 teens, uh, in her junior year of college, they actually had a school project to uh, do a project about their community. She went to college at UW-Stout in Menominee, Wisconsin, and one of the buildings on campus, actually, there's a a lot of people in Menominee know some different uh, haunted stories about that campus. There's some kind of odd things that happen there. But one of the buildings that uh, they were looking into for their report was rumored to be haunted. And one of their friends lived in that building. So one of the classmates that she was paired up with had a friend that lived in there and asked them if they could maybe go in, you know, if they let them in the building just to do a, a brief seance. They were going to see if they could uh, try to contact somebody who had died in that building. Uh, one of their friends was was a Wiccan, and she had done uh, a handful of seances before this. So she was more than happy to help them. And they had decided that they were going to go into the basement of the building where a lot of the activity took place. Now, why is it always the basement? Uh-huh. I know. It's going to get suspenseful, uh, but just just <laughs> hang on. Just, I'm like, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, just hang on. I'm so. Like biting my fingernails. Uh-huh. They're. 
They went to the basement because that's where a lot of the activity takes place in that building. So they did this on spring break when there weren't a lot of people in there and they didn't want to get in trouble. They checked out a recorder from the library and one of their project partners was the one that was assigned to asking the questions during the seance. And uh, Amy, our listener, was in charge of recording. Now they were asking about the person who actually died there and they tried for 15 minutes. They did close it properly and they walked in different parts of the basement. The only activity that they had was that they did run into a couple of very cold spots, but there wasn't anything that came up. Now I'm telling the story because this is a lot of cases when using a Ouija board. You don't necessarily have that Hollywood moment of you're doing this for a few minutes and you hear a voice or your planchette moves. And I'm also telling this story because um, their Wiccan friend actually used a homemade board. Uh, There are different ways that you can be using a board of this kind. Um, Her friend had done this homemade. She used blessed water, twigs, a representation of all of the elements. Um, They use a matchbook for a planchette. Um, If for some of our listeners that use a Ouija board, if you've done something like this in the past, I'd like to hear what our listeners use. If they're not using a traditional board, what what do you use? What do you use for your your tools? I'm really curious to know. Please let us know. Um, So not a lot happened. Like I said, they ran into a couple cold spots. In fact, UW South is known to be haunted. They sat completely in the dark. They only got static on the recorder, and they used a handmade board. That's on the side of the spectrum. Now we're only going to amp up from here. (laughs) Yeah. So, strap in. We have another listener tale. Uh, She is a friend of mine. And we're going to be calling her Melissa. She had a friend in college, which their house that they lived in was only a few blocks from the house that I lived in. And this took place in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, back when we were in college. Uh, Her one friend that was a roommate of hers, Lydia, well, she... (laughs) Now, a lot of you are going to be like, no! But Lydia found a used Ouija board at a Goodwill. Mm -mm. And she bought it. And she decided that... That's how every scary movie begins. Yep. Every scary movie with possession begins with someone getting a board at a yard sale or Uh a Goodwill or... Uh Nope. Nope. And Lydia wanted to use this board during one of their hangouts that they had with friends at the house. (sighs) So, Melissa's account starts with, well, it all started with weird noises in the house, and my keys were jingling on my dresser after the seance. When I was asked about, or when I was about to walk into my bedroom, A bunch of people were over doing the seance, including Lydia, my roommate. 
She's like, we definitely have to try this again. We all had one or two fingers on the board because there was a bunch of us and we wanted some answers to some of our questions. And apparently the board was answering back and the answers coming through were, there were so many ghosts in this house. And we asked if there were where they were in the in the house. The answer was the kitchen. And seconds after that, there was something. There was something there. And it said, yes, the kitchen. We asked its name. But to be honest, I don't remember what it said. So apparently it gave an answer. We asked where it was from, and it said Mauston. There is a Mauston, Wisconsin, uh, which was weird because, unbeknownst to me, that was Lydia's hometown. And everyone thought she was from Madison. And at one point, the board had said that this sad lady, uh, a sad lady was there and also said that there was a little boy. And then after that, things got extra scary. We stopped when other roommates brought their dog, who was sitting on the couch, was latched next to us so that she wouldn't run around. And she started freaking out out of nowhere. Somehow, she ended up becoming unlatched and the, sp the board spelled out, ha. I feel like there is more that was going on. After the fact, in the basement, which I have been in that basement, it was creepy. Uh, the basement light broke and things started moving around in the kitchen. Uh, things were moving very rapidly in the basement and the kitchen. But after that, we stopped playing with the board. Now, she never told me in her account when I interviewed her that they closed out the board properly. Well, and to be honest, her roommates, not just her roommate Lydia, but the other girls that lived upstairs were witnessing things far after their experience with the Ouija board. And she still doesn't know if Lydia actually pulled it back out to play with it later. Hmm. Well, so, and I, yeah, a lot of times it seems like when you're playing with a Ouija board, not, not everything happens right away, you know, it's sometimes yeah. much later. And then it's like, that's the, the door has been opened and it can just show up whenever it wants at that exactly. point. You've given it the invitation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nope. No nope. hard pass. She did uh, one of the stories that she did remember. Um, I kept my note in here about this. So one of those other roommates that was experiencing things well after the fact, she said, this one stuck with me. She said she one of her roommates heard her name being called. And she was one of the only people during the seance that didn't believe in this stuff. That's always and, the way it goes. Uh-huh. Exactly. It's always the skeptics. Yep. And she, this girl, decided that she was going to ignore it. Well, that's when she heard a huge bang. 
and she looked around, expecting something to have fallen and broken, but nothing had been. Nothing was moved, and uh, she heard her name being called again. Um, another roommate had said on the door to the basement, uh, sometimes it would become open and no one would be home. One of her roommate recalls that uh, as being one of the weird things that happened only after they started using the Ouija board. Um, yeah, uh, she said that the weird things continued and they don't live there anymore, obviously. Thank um, God. Uh-huh. But I, I would be really interested to see if the poor college kids Current that live there now are people, experiencing yeah. things. Yeah. Um, so that is, that is one thing that could happen is just, especially I, I would say I'm, I'm not going to be using one anyway. I, I don't want it around, but especially not a used one. <laughs> no. Yeah. So let me try to throw that out. Uh, it found yeah. its way to the goodwill. Yep. Woof. Nope. Yep. So we're gonna end the listener tales on this last one. Now there is more to the story, but I'm only gonna tell you the summary because she did not tell me the entire story. But I don't think it even needs to be the extended details because it is so creepy anyway uh our listener lisa shared her story when she was younger her and her cousin used to hang out all the time she'd be over there a lot and they decided that they were going to play with a ouija board one day now they were really young uh young enough to be sharing the same bed at night when uh, Lisa would go to her aunt's house and stay with her cousin. I don't know how long they had been playing with the Ouija board, but I know that they were getting some really freaky responses. And things were starting to happen around them that was freaking them out. So they decided to abruptly stop playing. And that night, when they went to sleep, they were sharing the same bed in her cousin's bedroom. And Lisa had a nightmare. And her nightmare was she woke up in bed and she saw this thing at the end of the bed. Oh, no. Now, how she woke up was that she felt her legs being pulled and she was shifting downward on the bed. No. When she looked to see the creature, she said it was basically indescribable, it was evil, and she knew for a fact that it was trying to get her, like, suck her under the bed. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. So she grabbed onto the headboard and held on for deal life, and it would not let go. She was screaming, it was continuing, and finally she did not let go of the headboard. And finally it stopped. Well, when she woke up in the morning, her cousin said, I had a nightmare last night. Oh, no. And Lisa said, I did too. 
Well, come to find out her cousin basically had the exact same dream about something waking her up from pulling her downward on the bed, grabbing her feet, grabbing her ankles and legs, and she could not describe. She just said it was a terrifying creature, and she held on to the headboard for dear life. They got up, looked at the headboard. The headboard was broken. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. They can't explain it to this day. They never use the Ouija board after that. Nope. Yeah. Mm-mm. Creepy shite. Yeah. So, to end on that note, we've kind of shared the spectrum of what can happen during a seance or using a Ouija board. We went on a crazy-ass ride today talking about cursed things and Ouija boards. People, places, things. Didn't we? Mm-hmm. Listeners, what do you think? What are your thoughts on Ouija boards? What are your thoughts on cursed objects? Do you use items? I do you... would be very interested in Draven, hearing from Draven. I yes. know that he probably has some stories considering uh, that he's a pagan. Yeah. So maybe. We should definitely you know, ask him questions. When we drop the episode, Draven, I'm shouting you out right now. You'll have mm-hmm. to put some comments in on the um, private Facebook group and just tell us, like, yes, do please. you use a Ouija board? Like, mm-hmm. how do you feel about it? I know that you're using other things. I'm just curious if you you obviously had a lot of experiences with the supernatural. Um mm-hmm. If you think that is a conduit, like, what are your thoughts on that coming from that perspective? Yeah. I agree. I, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Draven, because we we went on a wild ride today, and it's only about to get more crazy, honestly, in this month of October with our ghost episode uh, and listener tales. It is yeah, going to be. We just off open the door. The, you just open yeah. the door to spooky. Yep. And we hope this was a freaking awesome welcome that you needed into spooky season. Ooh, that took a lot of energy out of me. <laughs> so yeah, Negative we've got energy is not allowed. Not allowed. <laughs> not we've allowed. got P for possession. Yeah. We've got. Uh, Bishop James Long, I believe next, the exorcism yep. expose is before the possession episode. Yep. We've got listeners. So look out listeners. Yep. And then, uh, we might even do a special something for around Halloween time too. Mm-hmm. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. 